Hey there, Zlatko here. Welcome to What Is My Brain podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I get the opportunity to chat with fellow founders and business operators about their journey and how they got to where they are now, where they are going and how they're going to get there. I'm planning on bringing guests and touching on topics such as running multiple businesses, executing ideas, and just spitballing about random topics and current events. It's a casual conversation, and that will hopefully bring value to anyone that decides to listen. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for tuning in. Awesome. Awesome. Here we go, man. Wade, we finally did it after so many times of going back and forth and and, uh, having to reschedule for various reasons. Uh, the first one, unfortunately, being a technical issue. <laughs> um, thank you so much, man, for for jumping on and and being on the podcast. And uh, I'm excited to chat with you and and uh, kind of get to get to know you a little bit more because I know you have a you have a long uh, long history and a story of of different aspects of life and and like you just said, living in LA. And um, so uh, I want to give you the floor. Do do a quick introduction and let people know what you do. What what you're working on and anything else you want to share, my man. Yeah, thanks, man. Absolutely. So I'm a recovering lawyer. So if you, most people for like a large would, would view me as a lawyer for a large part of my life. So I did the traditional straight out of college, went to law school, um, went to GW in DC, and then I ended up going back to the West coast and I was just a lawyer for a long time, but um, I was probably, you know, probably should have just skipped law school and gone straight to writing. So I uh, was a writer okay. at heart. Um, you know, I had some, you know, when I, I moved to LA to really be a writer and sort of did the law on the side. And that was the whole point of that was to try to be able to kind of break through for writing. And I had some successes. I had, you know, I had some stuff got really close, you know, and so, um, you know, it had, had people attached to a lot of my projects, you know, I had Bo Bridges in his, in his, uh, in his kitchen, making me, you know, marmalade on, on toast being like <laughs> really interested in this, in this, uh, in this pilot you did. And, and so I got super close a few times, but it just never panned out. And then uh, ended up getting married, moving to Virginia beach and still writing, but, um, you know, left the law and now basically, um, working on doing, I do a lot of, a lot of content writing, a lot of email writing for businesses and B2B and that kind of thing. Um, but my main focus right now really is, is focusing on what I like to call infotainment and trying to convince people and persuade people that, you know, your content needs to be entertaining, right? And, uh, and yeah. that's kind of part of value. So that's in a, in a, in a quick, you know, in a, in a quick nutshell. I love it, man. I love it. So tell me, tell me about uh, kind of the, the LA scene and when you, when you got there, where you moved from and, uh, you know, what, what kind of drove you, like, where did the writing start, I guess, would be my biggest question is like, what triggered that? And, and what were you writing? Was it, you know, like short films? Was it, you know, uh, 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 you know, shows? What, what, what was the writing all about? So when I, I was in, I was working for the government in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and then um, I started my own firm and I was, I had my own firm and I went to visit my friend who lived in Santa Monica and I grew up in North Dakota and then we moved okay. from North Dakota to Arizona. So I'd never really seen the ocean before. And so I visited my friend in Santa Monica and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I'm, I took the California bar. I went to um, live with him on his couch like an actor. And uh, that started sort of uh, the process. And then I just started writing and I did some spec scripts for TV. I got a meeting on West Wing. Uh, that didn't pan out. Uh, that tells you a little bit when I was there. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And I just just kept writing, kept writing and everything kind of culminated into 
a one man show that I did uh, in Hollywood and I won some awards for that. And, and um, yeah, so the whole time was just writing the whole time and, and was like, man, I really don't want to do this legal thing, but can't really pay the bills any other way. And so that's sort of what was LA was and then discovered um, email marketing and that people would pay me to write emails for them and, and uh, ghost writing. And, and so it's a little bit different than what I anticipated in the beginning, but it's definitely writing. And, you know, the goal is to be writing all the time and get back to being able to do a lot of my own projects. I love it, man. I love it. And what kind of businesses are you usually working with nowadays? Well, I mean, I've got some, it, it ranges, you know, I have a local regenerative farm business here in Virginia beach that I, I do work for all the way up to, I've got, um, a pretty big SaaS company that has 111 employees that I'm not allowed to talk about who they are because of okay. the NDA. Um, but you know, there is a big, a broad range basically. So my preference is B to B is a little bit larger B2B, but I do dig the regenerative farm, you know, people here because they're doing some cool stuff. So. Right, right, right. No, that's, that's really awesome. And when did you, when did you actually get to LA? Like when, what year was that to when you started? Oh, you're dating me, man. So I got to LA in uh, 2003, no, 2003. So I was in LA from 2003 to 2019. And then I moved. So I was there for 16 years and I moved out here to uh, Virginia Beach. Oh, I lost your, I lost your audio. I can't hear you now. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can. You're back. Okay, sorry. I, I hit the mute. My dog was uh, my dog was deciding to drink water right now, so I wanted to make sure we didn't hear like all this like splashing in the background. But um, damn, man. Uh, so I used to actually. So when I lived in LA, I lived in LA from 2004. Uh, I think it was 2013 to like 2016 or something like that. Like mm -hmm. four or five years, uh, four years, I think it was. Um, I actually hung out with a lot of people that were sort of in that world. Are you familiar with like the Larchmont area, like in Koreatown over there? Like where, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I hung out with a lot of people that were in the, in that world. And, uh, man, I swear every other person you talked to, they were doing some sort of writing, some sort of acting, some sort of background work. It was, uh, it was pretty impressive, man. So, um, I know, I know that's a hard world, uh, to tap into when it comes to like, actually getting, you know, a show off the ground or getting something like, uh, um, you know, a, a movie or, or whatever else it is. So I'm sure that was, uh, that was super challenging at some point. Yeah. I mean, it was very challenging. I got tired of hitting a lot of brick walls and said, I said, you know what, I'm just going to self-produce a one man show. Right. And so I self-produced it and that was a big confidence builder for me. It was really well received, uh, won some awards for it. And then, you know, it's interesting is it's so much easier to make money and get paid to ghostwrite and do email marketing. Um, and I would just, you know, encourage people if they're struggling at all is to consider doing that because the, the way everything is now is you can self-produce almost anything if you have the money. So just yeah. ghostwrite, make the money. Um, there's never been more demand right now for copywriting or for ghostwriting or email marketing or whatever, um, especially if you can be entertaining and um, make the money and then self-produce you're, whatever you're going to do, either self-publish a book or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So let me let me ask you about the the whole, uh, you said you kept hitting brick walls. Why? Wh what do you think that is, like, in L.A.? What, where do you think people break through and where do you think people kind of, kind of like, hit that wall? Is it a... I'm sure it has something to, to do with like a network of people that you surround yourself with. But what do you think kind of... Stop, like, where do you hit? think you hit the wall and... and what caused you to, I guess, not be able to get like past that or get around some of that? Honestly, my stuff wasn't good enough. 
in, in the beginning. Okay. So it's just, I, you know, I didn't have a healthy respect for the craft of what I was doing. Okay. I, was so used, I was so used to a lot of the things that I did that I was able to just kind of, kind of do it like at about 70, 80% and have success. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Some things I'm good at and writing is just, is not like that, you know, writing, if you're going to write, um, you got to get the reps in, you know, and, and you, you, you can't learn what you need to learn. You can't have the discoveries that you need to have unless you get the reps in. So I'm a big volume rep person now. Um, but in right. the beginning was that. And then the other thing is just there, there's so much, there's so many people trying to get stuff made and there's only so much money. And, um, you know, so even if I, I felt like I had like the closest I got was with, I had a pilot, uh, for TV and that's when Bo Bridges got connected to it. And, um, I was like, this is going to get made. Right. And, uh, even though, even if a pilot gets made though, something like only like a very small percentage of pilots get made into TV shows, you know what I mean? Right. And so, you know, in that world, it's the traditional entertainment world. There's very large barriers to entry, but there's not a lot of opportunities because there's only so many movies that are made in a year. There are only so many TV shows. Um, and that's when I started to kind of look at, like I said, self-producing and now, Every year it gets easier to self-produce whatever it is that you want to do. You know, and I've negotiated, so I'm also, you know, a lawyer. I've negotiated some book contracts for people. I would just, unless you can get a contract with a big publishing house, I would just always self-publish your own books because the, 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 all the contracts and everything is, is slanted in such a way to take advantage of all the creators. And so, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard that. I've heard that so many times from different people about self-publishing a book. And I actually, I just posted something about that recently that um, I'm actually working on outlining, you know, uh, my own book, uh, probably looking to like start writing it maybe end of this year and, and getting it out by maybe sometime in 2024. I don't really have like a strong timeline. I'm just like more like marinating it right now. But yeah, I really don't understand, um, you know, uh, getting going down that rabbit hole. I mean, I guess if you're, if you got a name behind you and different things like that, but I feel like self-publishing, even if you do have a name behind you, like I look at people, for example, I was just listening to um, Louis CK, right? He was on, on Joe Rogan recently and he does everything for the best, like 10 years or something. He does everything on his own website. Like he doesn't mm -hmm. go through the, through the regular, you know, funnels of Hollywood and getting, you know, Netflix and, you know, all these other things. He's just like, dude, it's on my website. And if you want to check it out there, the money comes directly to me. And then I, you know, pay people out and all these other things. I feel like there's no, I, I can't find a reason, a strong reason for somebody to go down this rabbit hole of like going with a publishing company. Like, what is that primary reason? Like, can you tell me what that, what that is? Well, I think part of it's generational. So I'm older, right? So for me, when I, when I grew up, you know, there, there wasn't the options that there are now for self-publishing. So like in, you know, my twenties and my thirties, even in, you know, even into late thirties, early forties, they just didn't have the options that we have today in terms of the ability to do whatever it is that you want to do. Right. So that's one thing. It's like sort of generational momentum. Um, I think the other thing that was ego. And then the third part about it is people just don't simply know. So if you right. look at your traditional like information product business, right, on the internet, people who sell mm -hmm. courses, people who sell, um, you know, whatever, like a book or, 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 or whatever you want, yeah. you can take that model, that exact model, and you can apply it to the creative world. You can apply it to, you could make your own TV show and do that. You can apply right. it to whatever it is that you wanted to do. And, but that the, the information products is a learned skill. Like I, in 2017, I was like, I was tired of paying people for my law firm to generate leads. And so I was like, I'm going to figure this out. 
And that sort of started me the rabbit hole of internet marketing and direct response and, and all that. And it took, you know, it took five years before I even knew my head from my ass in terms of what I was doing, you know? And so, right. um, and so I think that's the other part about it too, is it's a skill set problem. People have, you know, they'll have one of three things. They'll have the, the creative skill, right? But they'll have the wrong mindset, which is the starving artist mindset. They're like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. be a business person. Okay. Um, and then even if they have the business person, they don't have the marketing skills. So you really need those three buckets. You need the creative skill to be able to create something good. They need the mindset, which is like, no, I'm a business person. And so I'm not a starving artist. And then you need the actual, okay, I'm, I'm, I know how, to, you know, know how to market that. And if you can't do that yourself, you need to be able to farm those out. Right, right, right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, nowadays, I feel like you can you can throw something up on on any of these. I mean, I see a lot of people, especially on Twitter, uh, self publishing and just throwing up on on something like Gumroad or whatever else it is. And, you know, getting getting that uh, angle going and, and, you know, keeping all the money pretty much outside of some of those, uh, you know, fees and different things like that. So now that's, that's really, really interesting. Um, so tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, kind of the, the, the marketing side of things. And now you're doing email marketing, all these other things. How, how is that? Are you? Uh, are you just doing contract work? Is it you know, you're growing maybe a smaller agency? What's what's that? What's the game plan there? Well, it's for me, I'm just a one person agency, right? So my goal is I don't I don't want to scale necessarily to get to be a bigger agency. I did that with my law firm. You know what I mean? And so my my goal, I read this. Um, I'm gonna get a little esoteric on you. And I, I read this yeah. essay called the uh, the two cultures of mathematics, right? And it basically talks about how in math, there's two two poles. There's the bean counters or there's like, okay, we got to figure out how much thrust the rocket's going to need, you know, in that math equation. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, the theoretical guys like, okay, how many universes are there or whatever. And what was really interesting is that is the, the problems, the thorniest problems to be solved, the answer always lies in the opposite pole, right? So the mm-hmm. theoretical guys cannot figure out the answers to some of their harder problems without having the other pole. And same for the bean counter guys, right? And so I actually, I, that, that essay had a profound impact on my life to where I set up my life to where I have two of the opposite poles and the tension between those two poles basically serves me really well. So my goal basically is I have my, my email service agency, right? Which is, or ghostwriting or whatever. Um, <clears throat> and I don't want to scale that. And then I have the information product side, which is the, you know, which is <clears throat> um, no clients, just selling information and so the the sort of yeah. those two things the 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 tension between those two poles is uh is kind of what i'm working on and i'm open to either one of those growing either way it doesn't really matter to me but that's kind of the business plan that i have which is kind of a an esoteric creative person business plan um based a little bit in math so i love it i love it i mean uh i guess if i if i look at it that way i i have some of those similarities across those as well because i got like a service business that we service clients and then i have the product business that's just you know kind of uh on a on a once it's built it's a little bit more on autopilot obviously there's marketing and different things that you have to do but you know that in itself can scale you know if something happened tomorrow that thing can grow exponentially and overtake what's happening on the service side of the business so right um, yeah no, that's I definitely want to have a robust information um, business on that side for the products and services because I mean for the products because you know I had I there was a lot of carnage in my life from 2017 to 2020 2020 2021 um, because I basically went down every rabbit hole you could go in the internet and and followed every guru you could follow 
Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> pardon me. And just because I said I didn't know. And, um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people are misled by information products and by the sort yeah. of the, the success, the success of others, you know, the self-improvement industry. And so a lot of what I do focuses around helping people figure out, okay, what, you know, what can I do and not fall into those traps and, and how can I kind of, kind of create a niche of one basically. So. Right, right. No, that's, uh, that's really interesting. So what, what, are, what are some of those interesting rabbit holes you went down on? I'm really curious. Oh, I mean, I did everything, man. I was like, I, I, I was trying to do all these funnels and I wrote a book and, and I was doing a book funnel and I did, um, there, I, I kind of dabbled in all these other like sales, sales, you know, people stuff and, um, the masculine movement and like all these different things. I was just like, just going around and I was like, well, something's got to make sense and I got to be able to figure something out. And, um, and like I said, is that it's very seductive if you come from anything other than the internet itself. Right, right, because right. It's because of the things that you say, like you can scale so fast. There's so much opportunity. The world is your marketplace. Um, but, you know, you, you still need the basic levels of marketing. You still need to know how to do copywriting and, and uh, all those things. I, I love that you just said that it's when you come from the from the outside world into the internet world, it's seductive. Like everything seems, yeah, everything seems sexy, and that you can just turn something on and make ten thousand dollars tomorrow, type of thing. That's so true. That is so true. Um, is there anyone that stuck out to you during that process that like is doing a really really good job? That kind of, I guess, is was there like, did you go down the rabbit hole of email marketing? You're like, oh, this is it. This is really what I want to do, and I can focus on this. Or was it that just kind of came as like a byproduct? No, it was more, it was more bits and pieces because what I realized okay. was, is, you know, there's, there's, there's two issues anytime that you're buying a course online or following somebody and one is survivor bias, right? And then the other one is what's called the white herb effect. And what that means is, is that anyone selling a course or anyone selling a sort of like a, an overall framework, and this goes mostly for people who sell like giant frameworks. Okay. say so this whole framework is going to change your whole life, right? Well, what happens is, is that you're not the same person, you're not in the same market, you're not in the same time. Right. right. And so it's, it's very difficult to replicate that success. And, but if you do a large enough sample size of people, a few people will be successful no matter what. Yeah. And then that becomes a social proof and then people buy off that social proof. Right. And so for me, what I've really got relentless about is, is what is the next skill that I need to develop and who can teach me that exact skill? Right. That's right. It. It's like a, it's like I want to learn to play the like if I wanted to learn to play the guitar, who can teach me how to play the guitar? You know? Right. And, right. And so when I um you know when I wanted to learn more about infotainment, you know, I was like, okay, who do I go to teach me more about infotainment? I mean, I had a, a very strong background in stand-up comedy and in mm-hmm. and um in my one man show and in theater, but how do I how do I translate that to business and what's called infotainment where you're wrapping around, right? And who can teach that to me? And so um that's what I try to help people understand is, is that you need to identify just the next skill and start stacking skills. And that will, that will hold you in a better stead, in my opinion, than trying to do some system that someone's selling you for everything, you know? Dude, I love that. I love that. I think that's a, that's a very, very important uh, lesson because I do think people take smaller bites. Don't just bite off the whole entire pizza at once and, and, fold it up and try to eat the whole thing. It's just, I feel like people need to take those little smalls. It's just like the same thing that I, that I tend to like preach about on, on Twitter. It's like people starting a business, dude, it's, it's literally no joke. If you wanted to just put up a, a, if you have a service to sell, whatever else it is, I mean, it is 
maybe you'll spend 20, 30 bucks a month, but it is absolutely free to do anything right now. So if you just start there and you start realizing, okay, now I have my website up. Okay. Now I got to focus on how do I do email marketing? Okay. Let me go learn that. And then let me go do this. Let me go do that. It's these little steps that you start taking that you start kind of, you're not just doing it to do it. You're actually taking, you're learning it. And then you're actually putting it into action that exact same into your business. And you're seeing the results and you're like, Oh, this is something I can double down on or, Hey, okay. The next thing is I got to learn social media. How do I, how do I write content on social media? What's going to bring people into this funnel? So no, I, I love that you said that because I think too many people think, Oh, I need to start a business. I need to go big. I need to get everybody. I need to start hiring people. I need to start doing all these things. And it's like, you're just, you're just now stunting your growth at that point. I feel mm-hmm. like. Yeah. And it's a classic, <coughs> pardon me. It's a classic business mistake. I mean, I did it when I opened yeah. my first firm, I bought like seven a seven thousand dollar desk, right? Mm-hmm. And I had to like, and I rented artwork from LACMA, which was the LA Museum of Modern Art or whatever. They had this program yeah. where you could you could rent art that they just had in the basement or whatever, right? It was I had this beautiful art and I had all this stuff, and because I, I didn't understand business at all, it's like I'll just open the doors and 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 you know stuff will come to me. And uh, you know now if I was to redo my firm now, I would I wouldn't even have an office, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'd have a cardboard table, right? And so. Um, you know, and there's that issue. People just want to go, go big because that's what they think they need to do. And then the other thing is that you need to decide, am I in the business of arbitrage, right? Which is, am I just trying to, you know, leverage things in an economy? Like, am I going to sell flashlights or something, right? Like, it doesn't matter right. to me what I do. Am I in arbitrage? Am I just going to sell something to make money and, and figure out what that lever is? Or do I have a craft, right? Am I going to, and so for me, you know, when I was a lawyer, I was just, I didn't really matter to me. Like I was just, it was just a way to make money. Um, and then one, you know, as I, I'm older than you, so, you know, I have two kids, I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, I got married later. And I just decided, I was like, well, you know, when I moved and closed my firm down, what kind of business do I want to have? And I was like, well, I want to, I want to be a craft. I want to be in long haul. And that's a long haul move, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it doesn't really matter. Like if you have to take a job to do whatever, to pay the bills until you can develop right. whatever it is that you want, that's a much different play than, no, I got to do a startup and I got to do it fast and I'm going to do an exit or whatever. So. Right, right, right. Absolutely, man. No, that's, uh, that's amazing. Um, how, uh, how many clients are you able to take on at any given time with the email marketing side of things? Is that taking up a lot of your time at the moment? Um, I mean, so I, I went in this, it was really kind of funny, sort of the, the process of what happened is, is I had someone that I knew and they had this course on, on Upwork, right. And to do Upwork. And I didn't even know what Upwork was. And I was like, well, I'll try this. And so I did Upwork from February of last year till basically last year, um, just to December, basically. And, you know, uh, I did really well. I just very, very part time. Um, I became, you know, I became top rated in the top 3%. And, um, you know, I did, I, my rate went way up. And so I was just kind of like messing around on that for like the longest time. Um, and then what happened was, is that I started to be able to transition off Upwork and then, you know, get my portfolio and then have people come to me. And so right now I'm very, I have a very small client base because I'm really focused right now on wanting to get the max results as I sort of build my portfolio out. Um, cause I believe when you start your business, if you're going to do an Upwork or if you're going to take on clients for writing, it's better to, to make less money and just, just kick so much ass for your, your first set of clients and focus on them than try to take in a bunch of clients and then overextend yourself because then no one's going to be happy. And if this, you know, and um, you need time to learn your, your process and all that. So I only have a few clients. I have other ways I make money too. And um, so, yeah. 
you know, so right now I'm focused on basically just kicking ass for who I have right now and kind of having a wait list for anybody else that wants to work with me right now. Dude, that's awesome. So you're another Upwork success story. I built my entire agency off the back of Upwork. Mm -hmm. Like the entire thing. And you're absolutely right. I think, so I started in 2016. I got a, uh, my consulting gig ended and, um, you know, I was sitting in in my 600 square foot LA apartment and I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to get a job. That's for sure. I need to figure out what I can do. And then, you know, I've hired people through Upwork, but I've never been on the side of, of providing services. So mm-hmm. um, as a project manager, exact same thing. Just went in got a few different clients, uh, you know, at the same time, a little bit part time here, a few hours here. And you just start building those reps and you start getting those reviews and it starts bumping you up the list. No joke. I lit- my my uh, guest author Upwork. uh article just went live yesterday, actually, because um, they asked me to write an article about like eight running an agency, systemizing and all these other things. And um, yeah, man, Upwork has been an absolute game changer for me. And honestly, running an agency, if you ever, you know, get to a point where, you know, deal flow through your website or whatever, go, you know, starts to starts to like dwindle down. Upwork is always a great place to go and and just try to find those next clients and apply for those jobs because there's so many people on that on that platform. I think it's uh, I think it's very underrated. I think a lot of people have uh, bad experience with it because they'll go in and hire somebody and they'll do a shit job and um, whatever that might be, and then they don't want to you know they don't use that as like a gateway to be like, well, let me see how I can maybe provide a service on here, whatever they're doing. And to me, that was an absolute game changer in my life. And um, like I said, I even wrote it yesterday on my post. I was like, Upwork, uh, I built my agency off of Upwork and Shopify. Those two platforms for me were were literally my agency. Yeah, no, I mean, and the cool thing about Upwork was what I realized was that most people just look at how much money that you've made, right? And so like, if yeah. you, if, once you get past a certain point of how much money that you've made, um, then people start coming to you because they're like, oh, well, other people have paid this person. So that's well, right. That's goal, right. You know, my whole goal, yeah. So my whole goal then was to get a rec- like a recurring gig, what I, what I could. So I got this gig um, that I wrote three articles a day, every day for, for five months, right? Straight. No wow. breaks. Like Monday through Sunday, three articles a day. And Ooh. it was, it was, it was a grind. It was horrible. It was, it was, and I, and I left at the end of five months. I just couldn't do it. I was like, I got it. I'm burnt out. I can't do it. But what that did was is that it did two things. One is, you know, I wrote over 600,000 words or whatever it was. And, you know, so my writing shots went way up because I can't, if I don't feel like writing now, I can't complain because I used to bang out three articles a day. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I'm just being a wuss if I don't write, you know, and then <laughs> I got paid, I got paid every week. And so I just, just grinded out that money to get up to a certain level. And then people were like, oh, people are paying him because I didn't really want to do articles, but you know, you can always switch what you do and what jobs that you take. So I would always recommend to people, the way that I look at it is, is get your, how much money you've made up as fast as, not even like a ton, like give it to five grand, right? Um, and then right. once you have five grand, then people look more at reviews or whatever. But, you know, I've only had, I have not had that many jobs in Upwork to get to the top 3% of, you know, the, whatever the highest rating you can have. I, I have the highest rating. The expert vetted one. No, I can't do my, um, on writing, you don't do vetted for writing because it's only in the technical stuff they do the vetting. So it's the next one down. Oh, it's the higher yeah, top rated plus rated or something plus like or that. Whatever, right. And yeah. so, um, and so the cool thing is though, now that I have that is like, if I ever need money or I want to, you know, I don't know, like buy something, I'm just like, oh, I'll just go get a gig on Upwork and, and people ping me all the time. And, and there are 
I like that, like the SaaS company, right? The SaaS company that has 111 employees that they, they came to me through Upwork, um, yep. you know? And so there are, once you get to a certain level in Upwork, there's two different Upworks. There's the, you're just beginning and it's like Twitter. Yeah. It's like Twitter. It's like, you're just beginning, you're grinding. You're right. You're absolutely grinding. right about that. And you're absolutely once, right about and that. And once you get past a thir certain threshold, you're in a whole new platform. That's you know, right. Like on Twitter right now, I'm on the beginning parts of Twitter with my account. Like I'm on the grinding phase right now, but I know that there's another, you know, I'm not worried about it because it's just volume reps will get me to where I want to go eventually in there. So yeah. And it's exactly. just, and, and so like for my email list, I always have people emailing me on the email list and asking me questions about Upwork and I give them all the same advice, which is just, you know, try to find something that that's recurring and just grind it out. You know, I mean, that's, mm -hmm. I didn't make that much money over that. Um, whatever it was, five months, you know, from February to, to July. But after that, once I grinded out that first money, it just blew up from there because I had, you know, I had a good review. Well, I had like one review, but I had all that money. And so people just looked at the money and said, oh, he must be doing good something because people paid him. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's an underrated tactic that people don't look at for Upwork. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. I 100% I agree with that. And uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a whole system set up for Upwork. And uh, actually for my agency, one of our biggest clients, which was PGA Golf, came through Upwork. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty amazing what you can do on there. Um, no, man, that, that's, uh, that's really, really cool. So how's been, I want to, uh, I want to chat a, a little bit about uh, Twitter because you and I both uh, did the, did a similar or did the same course, I should say. Um, I'd love to know how's the, how's the Twitter grind been and, and, and what do you, uh, you know, are you getting any, uh, you know, any business through there? Are you trying to get business or is that more just, you know, for yourself? Like, what, uh, tell me a little bit more about that. I'd love to hear why your journey has been on there. Yeah. So, um, I've got, I, I've gotten, how, how do I say this? I've done business for free on, um, on Twitter and uh, I did get a, a very, a, I can't really talk about this email client, but I did get a very good, um, like you would know who it is, like a very good uh, health products brand, natural okay. brand from Twitter that I'm writing some emails for um, just off of DMs, basically. Uh, and um, and my account's really small. Like I haven't even hit 300 people yet. But, you know, I'm not looking for Twitter for business. What I'm looking for right now is like I'm, the Twitter is part of my audience growth strategy, right? So all mm -hmm. I want to do is just grow my email list. And that's my, my number one focus right now is growing my email list and helping people with their email list. That's it. Nice. And are you, are you also doing LinkedIn or no? Mm -mm, no, I'm not doing LinkedIn at all. Just, I'm just doing one platform at a time. I'm a one platform kind of guy. So like I'm a big believer in volume reps. And so for example, like I have a, you know, my podcast, which I need you to come on. Um, I have 620 episodes in that podcast, right? Wow. And I did, uh, 300 and I did 365 episodes in 365 days in that podcast. Damn. And, yeah. And, um, and so it's, and that's once I learned that lesson, that's why I did the, you know, 600,000 words in that five months. But the cool thing about the podcast is, is that once I built that now I can do, I, I record episodes or don't record episodes, but I use that for interviews, like for content marketing. Right. So I can, I can cold email anybody and be like, Hey, come on my podcast. I have 620 episodes. And if that doesn't get them, then I just list some of the people that I've interviewed on there. And it's the same thing like Upwork. Now that I have some names on there, like some really cool people that I've been like, like, like pretty much like famous writers that I've interviewed on there, both in the copywriting world and in like the regular writing world, people will come on. And so that's, um, you know, for me, I just focus at one thing at a time. So once I did the podcast build out, now I'm building on Twitter. And then once I build up Twitter, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
figure it out. Tell me, tell me about some of the, uh, if you don't mind sharing, some of the guests that you had on your podcast. Who are some of the people that came on? Sure. So on the copywriting side, I had like Ben Settle come on. I had okay. um, Daniel Throssel uh, come on. I had Chris Orzakowski come on. Um, on the writing side, there's a writer who uh, I love his work. His name is um, James Howard Kunstler. And uh, mm, so he did the, yeah, he, he's, he's kind of niche as a writer, but he's a, like a legit writer. Like he lives up in New York and he, um, you know, all he does is he lives off his, his books, right? He, he wrote, he wrote this one book in called the long emergency where it talks about how uh, basically that oil is going to become so expensive to get that it's going to cause a crisis, which is basically exactly what's happening right now. So he, he <laughs> yeah. very, very prescient with that. And so, um, and there's a guy named Carl Denninger who, who I interviewed and, and, uh, just people like that. And it's just, it's just cool, man. Like once you have a platform that you've got some kind of asset for, it doesn't even have to be an audience. Like my audience right. is big for the podcast. I don't even care. I don't even care about the audience. I care about the, the podcast as an asset. Um, and then I can just call up whoever I want to interview them basically because of what I've created there. So. Yeah. And uh, how is uh, overall, how is the podcast performing? I, I mean, I've honestly never seen it on Twitter. I've, I haven't seen you post much about it. Like, is it getting just like organic traffic at the moment mm -hmm. or how, how are you doing that? Well, I look at, so I have a different view on content marketing. And so okay. most people, what they do when they do a podcast and, and what's very normal, it's the normal, according to Hoyle way to do it is they say, well, my success metric is uh, downloads. Right? right. Or, you know, monthly downloads or, or whatever. Okay. And that was never my goal with the podcast. The sole purpose of the podcast for me was that I would be able to reach out to people and interview people who either interested me or who mm -hmm. could be potential clients. It's more me. for yourself. It sounds like it's more for your, like your, your, your own, like, uh, kind of feeding your own creativity and the people that you want to talk to. It sounds like. Yeah. Well, that's half of it because I have a, you know, the whole, my Twitter handle is like the, um, the understory understory bard, right? Well, people are like, well, what's the understory? What's the understory? It's, it's the idea of the creative process that I believe in, which is you have to kind of go into the darkness and kind of root around and get lost and you can mm -hmm. get, um, inspiration, I call it from the side learning, right? So, so I'll I'll talk to somebody on a on the inner on the um, on the podcast and I'll interview them and then I'll learn something and they'll give me an idea on my business, right? Or I ghost wrote uh, for like for for like three months. I ghost wrote this newsletter where all they did was interview founders and VC people, and that's not my world. I'm not a startup person, but I learned so much ghostwriting from that that group, right? And so anyway, so, um, so now that the, the podcast is built out, so that's part of it is the creative journey, but also it's like, now if I'm, if like, if I see a, a business that I want to write emails for or, or do writing for, I'm going to just interview them first and then, you know, they're going to get to know me and then I can hit them up for business that way. So it's a, it's an asset regardless of how many followers that it has. And that's how I look the, at it as, as the volume, what the volume reps does for it, basically. That That's awesome. When did you start your podcast, by the way? I don't know, like three years ago. Oh, okay. Two, okay. Two, so right around the two, pandemic time, two, like right yeah. around the pandemic. Before it was before the pandemic. So it was um, basically when I moved to moved here. So in 2019, I guess. So yeah, when I moved to Virginia Beach. So nice. Well, maybe you moved to Virginia from uh, California. So my wife is um, an actress, and okay. um, I met her in uh, L.A. And then so when we decided that we were going to leave California, we were looking at Arizona, which is where my parents lived. 
And then um, Virginia Beach, I was like, I want my kids to be from the beach. And so. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you didn't so get to see that in North Dakota. Yeah. My mother-in-law lives right down the street. And so I take out her trash. Today's trash day. So I will take her trash and put it put it back in. And I literally live 30 seconds from my mother-in-law. It's a, it's a dream. It's a dream for everyone. That's awesome. And you get to, uh, you get to leave the kids with her every so often too, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, and my sister, like my sister-in-law lives five minutes away. So there's a lot of family here. And then the grandparents, um, with the other set of grandparents, cause my wife's uh, family has two, she has two, you know, stepdad and whatever, or her stepmom and whatever. Yeah. Um, they're, they're close. And so the, for my kids, they have a lot of family here. So have you ever That's been to Virginia awesome. beach? I have not, man. I have not heard great things about it though. I didn't even know it was a place. And so, you know, I, <laughs> like, I what, like, what the fuck are we moving to type of thing? Yeah, exactly. And, but I mean, I visited it a couple of times and what I did was, and so I rented a beach house and I was like, well, let's see if everything goes amazing and everything works out amazingly. Like what's the best that we can do. And so I rented this beach house right on the beach. It was like stupidly expensive for like a week of the summer. And I was like, I can't believe people get to live like this. And, um, yeah. and it's a great place. It's an amazing place. It's an amazing place. It's, it's a very well-kept secret. How's the, how's the weather over there right now? It's temperate. I mean, it's like we're the, so in Virginia, we're right on the border of Virginia. So we're as, we're, you're as far South and as far East as you can go in Virginia and still be in Virginia. So, I mean, it got kind of cold, but it's funny because, you know, I grew up in North Dakota. So I started in North, you know, the right. Skullskis, you know, my, that's my last name is, but the Skullskis, yeah. they went to the coldest place, North Dakota. Then in high school, we moved to the hottest place in Arizona because we're people of extremes. Right. And so, <laughs> Um, so like, you know, so I grew up in snow and North Dakota and, and it was funny. I had an eye appointment last year and they called me two days before the eye appointment and said, it was at Lenscrafters of all places. And they said, Hey, we have to reschedule your eye appointment. I was like, why? They said, well, it's going to snow in two days. I was like, what? what? So it's like, if there's any, the whole city shuts down for snow. Like, it's like, it was like a light dusting of snow and everyone's freaking out. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty temperate weather here. That's, that's uh, awesome. Is your, uh, is your wife still doing the acting thing? No, I mean, she, she acted for a long time. I mean, you've seen okay. her on TV. You've seen her on TV. Okay. And, oh, cool. and this goes, this goes back to the creative thing where, you know, she has like 50 or 60 IMDb credits and, and, um, but the thing about if you don't self-produce, there's two, there's like two tiers, right? There's the top 1% of the top 1% that everybody knows. And then there's everybody else. And that was my wife. My right. wife never broke through. I mean, but she was in, you know, she was in movies and, um, you know, she was on TV all the time. Like one time we were watching a Discovery Channel movie or a Discovery Channel television show where then the commercial break, there was a commercial for another show she was on. Like she did a lot of stuff. Right. Oh, and, cool. Um, and uh, but you but she just never broke through. And all the money goes to the, the, the top, top, top group. And so because there's so many there's so much creative talent that they pay everybody dirt cheap because they'll just be like, fine, we'll take somebody else. Cause there's, there's right. You, you know, in LA, especially as an actress, you can say, I want a five, three Eskimo, right. That, that is a hundred pounds and you'll have 25, yeah. you'll have 25 of them show up for an audition. Do you know what I'm saying? Like right. you can, you can write the most obscure thing that you need. And there's, there's 50 of them and um, you know, male, female doesn't matter. Like, and so, that's why part of what I always try to teach people is you want to become a niche of one and you want to self-produce. 
Right, and right. So no, that's, that's a good point. That's all my information products, basically, and, and everything that I'm developing goes around that concept is, is how do you do that? How do you create an itch of one? How do you self-produce? How do you be a creative person um, and be able to monetize that? And so, you know, hard fought lessons. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was when I was down in LA and I'm hung around people that were, you know, on your curb your enthusiasm and all these other shows, mm-hmm. uh, um, Grey's Anatomy, like I had coffee with a bunch of people. Uh, the guy from fucking Breaking Bad, uh, not Brian Cranston, but uh, the guy Saul. Uh, what's his uh, What's his name? Um, I forget his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I always found, okay, so those people broke through and they're doing, they have their own shows and all this other stuff. But man, I was actually very, very surprised to find out how many non-famous people, like the people that you would never recognize on the street that did commercials. Um, I had, I knew one guy who did an Aflac commercial and made so much money, didn't do shit, like literally shot that one commercial lived on a boat for I don't know how long. he was getting paid he came by and he was just like guys look at this I can't believe this got a check he was getting checks for like 50 grand a month for like mm-hmm. I don't know how long but to me that was always I was like why don't more people tap into that like why not go make money there and then if you end up breaking through into a tv show great but you're still able to earn a living doing what you're doing well I'll tell I'll tell you why is a couple things one is those things are incredibly hard to get so it's it's you you have to like I said you have to imagine it's a numbers game, right? So somebody's going to get right. it, right? And so, but you can be the, the best looking actor or actress. You can be the most super talented person. And there's there's 50 other people at every audition just like you, okay? And then the second issue is, is that, um, and this happens a lot, is you'll get something and you'll get paid like that. And then you'll never get anything ever again. Right, right, and, right. And I have, a friend of, I have a friend of mine who he, he got on General Hospital but he was like 24 years old and he got in general hospital and he was making like whatever, $30,000 a month in general hospital for two years. And then he was like, he kind of, he, he got, for whatever reason, his character got killed off and then he just never worked again. So imagine, wow. imagine that, you know, making 20, 30 grand as a 24 year old a month and then, you know, being on general hospital, but then you couldn't ever do anything ever again for whatever reason. Right. And that's very common. That happens a lot. Like if you look at, like your favorite movie, just look at the actors that were in there that weren't Tom Cruise or, or the, the top mm-hmm. set, you know, 10 people. They just cycle those people through. And so uh, for artists, and this is the thing about being creative is that is that you have to learn those three skills, right? You have to learn the creative side. You have to learn the mentality of, no, I'm in control. I'm not a starving artist. People, I control my stuff, my creations. Mm-hmm. And then you have to know how to market. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's, if you don't know how to do that, you're not, you're not going to make it like in Twitter, right? Yeah. It's, it's the, uh, NG, NGMI or whatever, not going to make it, whatever. And, um, <laughs> yeah. you, know, or you, you might make it for a little bit, but you're without those three things, you won't have, you won't be the next Meryl Streep or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So and what's LA your, sucks. uh, what's LA is a, LA sucks. You don't want to live in LA anyway. So that's another reason to self-produce is, is go, go live in Virginia beach and self-produce here. It's like so much better than LA. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's funny that you say that, you know, who also said that was, um, I think it was Danny McBride. He shot that one show on HBO mm-hmm. where he was a, the principals, vice principals or whatever mm-hmm. else it is. Yeah. And he, that, he, he said something very similar. He's like, fuck LA, man. He's like, you can shoot a show anywhere now. As long as you got a camera and, uh, and it's cheaper, you don't, don't people don't 
charge you up the ass for permit zones and different things like that. Yep. And it's way easier to do this. So that's funny that you, uh, that you mentioned that. Um, now, well, uh, yeah, that, no, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and a lot of people that have that attitude that I have have sour grapes, right? So right. like, they're like, I should have made it or whatever. I was like, I don't have that at all. Like, I know exactly why I didn't make it. Like I didn't master those three buckets and all my stuff sucked for the first five years. Right. Right. So I have no doubt as to why I made it or didn't make it. Right. But um, knowing what I know now and having the skills that I have now is that I would not go that route just because the environment has changed, like you said, and it's a trap. Now, if you like if you and, and especially don't even get me started for what it is for women, like you, you could get my wife on your on your podcast and talk to her for the the, uh, the trials and tribulations of her career for 20 years. You know what I'm saying? It's right. It's, right. It's an insane, it's an, ins there's no sane person would, would do it if they didn't have to do it. Right. And you don't have to do right. it. You can, you can create whatever you want. Yeah. Long-term you can make way more money doing shit online and, and, and hut and grinding it out online and finally breaking through than doing in the, in the entertainment. World. Well, and there's no middleman either. So just, just do an email list, just learn how to grow yeah. an email list. You know what I'm saying? It's like if you grow an email list and that's your, that's your audience, that's a, you have a distribution channel. You can, you can sell them whatever you want. You can, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and if they like you, you they, they won't think it's weird if you say, hey, I have a book. You want to buy my book? And some of them will buy your book. You know what I mean? People don't right. understand this about books. Okay. Listen to this stat. There's yeah. something like a million books written in English every year, like a million. All right. Okay. 500 books a year sell over 10,000 copies. Wow. Out of a million. Wow. It's, it's some, now, now some reply guy is going to look it up and it's going to be like, it's whatever, like it's, yeah. it's whatever it is. It's that scale. Okay. It's, it is, it is absurdly difficult to sell more than 10,000 books. Right. And so, um, that's why, like, I always like books. I'm always like, sell a high ticket book, make your charge a hundred dollars for a book and sell it to, you know, make it really, really good and sell it to, you know, a thousand people or whatever. Right. Right. No, that's uh, that's crazy. Um, well, I know you you uh, you got to run in a little bit. Um, I don't want to hold you up too much, but um, man, this was super super interesting. Oh, last question I had for you: what's your mm -hmm. what's your uh, what's your email list growth strategy at the moment? How are you getting people over to your email list? Is it uh, is it directly through Twitter? Is it through other channels? Like, what are you currently doing to to grow that list? If I may ask you. So I have two. I have two sort of, I have one big email list, but I have two main ways that I do it, right? So I started a newsletter on, 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 um, on Twitter. And so, um, the, and my Twitter handle is understory barred, right? Um, and then, but I have, I just have a landing page where my, there's two ways that I do it. One is that um, through my, my podcast, so people will find me there, right? Um, yep. But then, and this is, a, this is a strategy for free for you if, if you are ever thinking about it is when you have guests, um, make sure that you interview for your podcast. You know, if they post the podcast to their own distribution channel, then that's an A plus guest, right? Right. Like, it's always part of the metrics when I'm trying to decide who I'm going to, who I'm going to interview if I'm doing it as a growth strategy, because like take Carl Denninger, for example, Carl Denninger, he, he, um, uh, he always posts his, his stuff and my list grew the one of the, had the biggest days I've ever had ever in my list, just because he just put the podcast up on his, um, wow. On his tick on the market ticker for what he does. And so it's like, you know, and that's a great thing why people, they get frustrated if their, if their podcast doesn't, isn't Joe Rogan. And right. the thing is, is that I would challenge people is just look at your content, look at it as an asset and, and 
it doesn't matter if five people follow you, but if you interview really cool, awesome people and they're always putting your podcast on, on their distribution channel, you're growing, you know, that's an asset. Yeah, so absolutely. I, I look at, I look at podcast, uh, and I look at content in general, not just the podcast side of things. I always, um, people, I, I think the general notion is that people are not willing to play the long game or most people aren't, I should mm -hmm. say. they always want the instant gratification, the quick hit, the quick money grab and all these other things. That's great. If you want to chase that, keep chasing that. For me, I always look at it this way. You and I are talking right now. You may down the road go do something and, you know, have a, a huge following or I may go do something and have a huge following, whatever that might be. I'm always interested because this is what I do. I, I take from my own kind of experience. If I hear somebody maybe on, on a Joe Rogan or on any podcast that I listen to, I have a bunch of podcasts I listen to, I'm always the person to go back if they're, especially if they're interesting. That's how I've gotten some of my podcast mm -hmm. guests. Actually, I go back down, down that rabbit hole and say, this person is really interesting. I love what they said here. It might be just a little bit of a snippet and I'll go all the way back and I try to find them on different podcasts, mm -hmm. what they said and all these other things. So I think building that content library and and letting those 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 content pieces stack consistently is a very underrated growth tactic for the long term in my opinion because i think it's just it it it's it trumps everything else you can't beat time like you can't beat the amount of times you've done something you know i'm going on my i'm in my third episode now i'm about to get to like 30 episodes soon I'm fine going the next five years, going an episode a week and keep trucking along and doing this because I just enjoy talking to people. Like I enjoy, I'm not doing this to be like, well, I need sponsorships. I need this. I need money. I know all that. I'm here for the conversation. And to be honest with you, Wade, like you're, the conversation with you today, super different and super refreshing compared to anybody else because I do interview a lot more people that are in the tech space or whatever that might be. And even though, you know, you're in the email marketing space and all this other stuff, but there's always these correlations, what you said, the niche of one, wherever you're doing, whether you're acting or you're doing email marketing, you're doing Twitter, whatever else you're doing, that 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 foundation is still exactly the same. So I just want to say thank you for uh, for sharing all that. Yeah, no, and I, I actually, I totally, I totally agree with you, and and I'll kind of leave leave you with this. I mean, I have, I'm enjoying talking to you. I have, I have another twelve minutes, but not. I just kidding. Um, no, yeah. but uh, that's that's like you know you're having a fun conversation. Like, no, don't kick me off yet, Z. Um, no, but, <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm putting this into your corner now. You get to talk and yeah, say yeah. I'm done today. I need to leave. Yeah. <laughs> no, but no, but the thing is, I agree with you in the content marketing, and and for me. So there's that, right? Like you always want to be carving out real estate space, but you do you do it in a way that you enjoy doing it. So I like writing emails to my email list. I like doing podcast. I like interviewing people. Yep. I like being interviewed, right? So these are all things that build internet space, you know, real estate on the internet, right? Um, but then there's the other thing too is is about connection, and this is the thing is like I'm so, and I know that you you're really good about putting out value and you're really good about that. And, and your, you know, your Twitter stuff, if people don't follow you on Twitter, I don't know what they're thinking. If you have a great Twitter um, account. Thank you. I really appreciate that, man. It means a lot coming work, from you, honestly. You work hard on, you work hard on that model. Right. And so for me though, is I, I adopt a different model because if I try to constantly put out value all the time, then I burn, I'll burn out. Right. Right. And so what I, what my, my theory of the my theory of content is this is that it's it's make it entertaining or interesting first mm -hmm. because people will never tire of they'll never get entertainment fatigue 
if you're interesting or if you're funny or if you just uh, have have a fact that people never heard of or whatever and that's what your content is based around they will always look forward to hearing from you but people get burnt yep. out on value people get burnt out on value they get burnt out on what's the 10 books i have to 10 books i have to read or they get burnt out on uh, how do i optimize my morning routine like they just they just want to be human beings sometimes and so if exactly. for me my entire content strategy revolves around infotainment and being entertaining because that creates that connection. And then once their eyes, their eyes can see and their ears can hear and they have connection, then they're going to be more, more open to me being like, well, talk to me more weight about what volume reps are. Talk to me more about how can I have inter- infotainment in my own business or like whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that's the, and people get so caught up in the, in the, how many followers do I have and, and how big is my audience and, and, um, for like, and, and the things people are willing to do for those numbers is fucking amazing yeah. to be quite honest with you. Like the shit that I'm seeing online right now, everybody reusing the same fucking hook for their, like all this other stuff. I'm like, and listen, I fall into that trap in the beginning because at the same time, I'm like, I'm trying to grow a business, but I want to also do it authentically. Like you got to find a balance between the two, right. In anything. But honestly, man, in the, in the past, I'd say like even two months, the amount of shit that I've seen people posting and the stuff that they're doing for numbers, I mean, I'm just like mind blown. Well, two things happen, right? In that situation, one, you burn out because you just can't, you can't, or you put out crappier, crappier content. If you're right. going to sit there and you're going to spend, you know, hours and hours and hours and hours every week on writing a thread and doing some amazing, like this is my newsletter, for example. I don't publish my newsletter every week. I publish my newsletter whenever I have something to write about and kind of when it fits in my creative schedule. Cause I just don't want to put out a crappy idea. Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't promise my people. I'm like, you're going to get it whenever you're going to get it. Right. And then, um, but so, but what happens is that if you create this relentless schedule for yourself, your audience will always expect it. And, and people are like consistency, consistency. Yeah. Consistency. But like, I have a six year old and a four year old. I have 10 other things. I have another business. Like I have all these other things that I'm doing. So like, I just make sure that I'm entertaining and, and I'm interesting and that when I do, you know, put value out there that it, it, people can use it. Right. And right. that allows me to kind of have a business that I like. I don't feel like I'm a slave to my business and I don't stress out about putting out the content or whatever. And it may be a slower growth strategy, but like I have a, to me, the only metric that really matters is your email list. Like what is the list that you control? Okay. How many, exactly. how big is the audience that you control? Not how many people, people follow you on Twitter or whatever. Like how many people right. do you actually, you know, will pick up the quote, pick up the phone, right? Like they'll open your email. Or right. And for right. me, that's the only metric that I care about. And then I, I kind of treat my list very with care because that's like the, the most valuable thing that I have. And, um, and I th- but I think people get caught up in all these vanity metrics and, yeah. you know, and the only other thing I'll say about it is this, is that, and some people are running like that arbitrage business, right? Where they're like, I'm going to find an, an, an inefficiency in the market and I'm going to exploit it. I'm going to sell flashlights or whatever. And that's great. But I don't want to be in that business. Right. I want to, I want to actually help people that I want to help. So it actually does matter to me who's on my list. It does matter to me who I'm talking to. So I don't, I don't really want a hundred thousand people that I don't really like 80,000 of them. You know what I mean? Right. Not that, right. not that they're bad people, but we're just not, in, it's not the same. We're not connected. Not in yeah. the same place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, and um, and so to me, that's my strategy, and it's it's a slower growth strategy. But I, I stress very, I stress very little about my Twitter account. I stress very little about my list and all that. So, 
Good, good. And may I ask you if you're willing, to, if you're comfortable sharing, what does your, how big is your email list? Like, and I know that you focus very strongly on that. Like, is there a, a number that you, you know, ballpark even, it doesn't matter. They want to share like how big that list may be at the moment. So I've got a, I've got a pretty decent sized list, but I'll, I'll say this, right. And so it's kind of a, that is the one thing I don't pub. I don't do money publicly and I don't talk about my list publicly because okay. two, two reasons, two reasons. It's the lawyer in me. One, it's a flex, right? And two, I could totally lie about it. I could be like, oh, it's 25,000 people, right? But three, it's embarrassing because, so Ben Settle has a a list of 40,000 people that have double opted in. Okay. So that is like, to me, the gold standard of of like what a list is. And I do not have a a list even in the same ballpark as that. So I, 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 I am embarrassed to say how big my list is when Ben Settle's out there with a 40,000 list that's double opted, right? And so, um, and I don't talk about how much money I make either. Cause I, as a lawyer, that's a trap. I tell people don't do that. Don't, I, I, there are, um, Ryan Healy has a, a I'm going to paraphrase this. Do you know who Ryan Healy is? He's a copywriter. Sounds really familiar. The name, the name, uh, he's a cool, he's a cool cat. I'm going to interview him in my, on my podcast. I'm going to interview you in my podcast if you want to come on, but, um, he, anytime he has this thing, which is true, which is, is that there's, that there is money and there is money in some secrets. Right. And um, so I have a very like if you go on my my 620 podcasts, like I, I cry in one of the episodes there because my son had, was in the hospital. And like I right. have like I have a very far disclosure line where I talk about a lot of stuff about my life. Right. Like I'll, mm-hmm. all sorts of shit. Um, but there's certain things I don't talk about. I don't talk about uh, how much money I make and I don't talk about like things like like metrics like that. Right. I, I also don't want people to think that that's something that it's a promise that they can do the same thing if they do what I do. You know what right. I mean? No, that's awesome. That's awesome. I respect that. I respect that. Thank you. Thank you for shedding light on that. Well, it just loops, um, it, it, loops it back to what we talked about in the beginning, right? Which is, right. which is like, I don't want to become a guru who promises you, you're going to have a list of 10,000 people and you're going to make $350,000 or whatever. Exactly. Right? You know, in six months, like I don't do that. Right. You know, so, um, I just want people to, I, I just want people to be able to, to stand on their own two feet and figure stuff out for themselves and help them figure those things out. Right. Give them a little bit of that guidance, but don't do the work for them or promise them something that they're going to be end up failing because they didn't, they're not you at the end of the day. Right. And they have to do the work. And that's the thing is that, is that, you know, there's this debate that there's a debate that I'm working on right now that we're going to have a debate, I think on AI. Right. And I'm on the, I'm on the con side of AI is, is that I think for writing at least, is that there, when you do volume reps and you do a lot of writing, you discover things through that process and AI right. short circuits that process. Right. So, yep. and yep. so the thing is, is that you, unfortunately you have to go into the darkness of the understory and you have to face the bandits and the monsters and you have to go through the insecurities and you have to do the work to make those discoveries. But when you do that, people, people cannot move you off of your spot. You have a certainty about what mm-hmm. you're doing and what you've discovered. And so, and there's just, you can, it just comes through when you, you can talk to someone, you'll know, like when they're telling you like, oh, well, this is my strategy and here's how I discovered it. They, they own it. Like they're not, you're not moving them off their spot because they've discovered it and they've owned it. So. Right. Right. Awesome. And I want to, last question. I know you got, you got a, a run. What are, what are some of the books that, um, so I'm trying to, I started writing about 10 months ago. I'm really trying to up my 
my copywriting game for like a lot of my SaaS products and different things that I'm doing and, you know, all these other things. Do you have any recommendations on, on good copy? I know I have the, I have the actual copywriting ad week uh, book over there. Any books you would recommend to anybody listening for copywriting or even email marketing or maybe even a, I don't know, a course that you've taken or something that you've seen out there that would be that you're like, dude, this, this is, this makes a lot of sense. And this is really, really like a powerful. Yeah. Well, I can direct you to some people, right? So for example, um, you know, like Ben Settle has some really good, really good stuff on really good books, right? But he has high ticket books. They're expensive. Like, okay. Some of his books are like a thousand dollars, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so it's a really interesting inform. It's a really interesting model that he has, but you know, just, just the classics, like, you know, the, the, the Dan Kennedy, the ultimate sales letter, right? Like that book, not that you're necessarily going to write your sales letters like that, but anything that gives you anything that gives you a framework to start from and then just just, just do the reps from there. Yeah. And, and I'm actually, I'm probably kind of a contrarian on this is like, I don't think you need to read all the books. And right. I think you just need to establish a baseline in something and then do the volume reps. So for yep. me, it started with articles, right? And so I just did 600, 700,000, you know, so then you had to do a headline. I had to figure that out and I had to do all that. And that just, that just got my copy going. And then, you know, and then I just kind of transitioned my you know, stuff from the, my one man show and all that into my emails. And then, then it was infotainment and I started doing infotainment reps and just establish a baseline with something and then just start doing volume reps and you'll discover what you need to discover. Beautiful, beautiful. And last thing I want to say, man, I just started reading this Rick Rubin book. I don't know mm -hmm. if you had a chance to check it I've out. I've seen the cover. I was like, oh, that's an interesting cover. So I, I, I've, I've, I've heard good things about it. Dude, highly recommend it. It's just like the creativity juice book, in my opinion. Like the guy is really, really strong. And his audiobook is even better because he's just a soothing like Zen voice that I, I, I absolutely love listening to. So if you ever have time, uh, check it out, man. I, I highly, highly recommend it. No, hundred percent. Absolutely. hundred percent. Awesome. Wait, uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, as you mentioned, I will take you up on that offer whenever you have some time, let's get on your podcast. I'd love to, you know, talk about anything you want to talk about. I swear to God, it's, I, I feel like this hour flew by faster than any other hour that I've done. And, and I appreciate the conversation. Um, you obviously have a ton of knowledge and, uh, Dude, whenever you want to come back, just hit me up and be like, hey, I'd love to do another podcast and, and we'll make it happen. Absolutely. Can I tell people where to find me? Oh, please, please. Uh, if you, so on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter at understory bard. That's uh, understory bard, B-A-R-D. And understory is like understory. Look it up. And then but if you want to look at my um, so for my email list, just go to understory emails. And that's my website, understoryemails.com. And we'll put that in the in the show notes when we release this episode as well, so that people will have a place to go click through and, and get right to where they need to be. So uh, don't yes, worry man. about that. I'll make sure. Yeah. No, Thank I'm, you so I'm, much, I'm, man. I'm, I hope you have a good rest of your day. You too, bud. Well, you made it to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning into What Is My Brain podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you got some value out of it. Make sure you hit the subscribe button or the follow button to get notified when new episodes are live. I'm out. Thank you.